You're listening to SaaS Acquisition Stories, a podcast featuring the stories from both startup founders and buyers who have successfully gone through an acquisition process using MicroAcquire, the number one startup acquisition marketplace in the world. To date, MicroAcquire has helped hundreds of startups get acquired and has facilitated hundreds of millions in closed deal volume. Here's your host, Andrew Gazdecki. All right, Andrew, founder of MicroAcquire here, and I'm so excited to be with Laura Lynn from Stay Tuned Digital. Laura Lynn, thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, excited to be here. So before we started recording, you were telling me about uh, your personal background in operating and growing different startups. Do you want to maybe give a little introduction of yourself and your background for everybody listening? Yeah, I'm probably very different from a lot of the other folks you've had on this podcast. So thanks for having someone who zigs when others zag, but my background is in operating and product. So um, I'll skip a few of the early boring years where I learned how to be an adult. But after playing around with consulting and uh, working at, at a bank for a while, I decided I want to learn tech. And I went to Warby Parker, kind of tricked them into hiring me and had an amazing four or five years there um, on the tech team where I got to build products. So everything from our point of sale at our first few stores that then became many, many stores to our inventory management and all the way to an app that lets you take a vision test from home, which is an incredible app that a lot of you should check out if you're still hanging out more at home than you are in stores. Um, But at the end of my tenure there, I was really curious about this thing called Shopify because it seemed to make a lot easier that I was kind of doing by hand at Warby. Um, So I left with the intent of learning Shopify and I went to a few brands. Um, First, Faraday, which was a big apparel uh, retailer that had wholesale, retail, e-com. So I got to, I was thrown into the world of Shopify. Um, And from there, then worked with a handful of other brands and CPG and beauty, getting them on Shopify, understanding how to use it, how to use it efficiently and how to grow your business on it primarily from the operations, product, team, customer service standpoint, uh, less the marketing standpoint. So Serge, our CEO, and I've been friends for years, and he had been working on all sorts of things around the Shopify ecosystem. And in the summer, he started incubating this idea, which is a little more popular now, but the idea to roll up Shopify apps um, and provide a better experience for merchants. And I, from the moment he said that, I was all on board. Um, it's really, really fun to be working in the Shopify ecosystem with the goal of making merchants' lives easier. Nice. So tell me a little bit more about um, Stay Tuned Digital. What kind of apps do you specifically look for? Is there a certain category? Is there a certain size? Is there a certain just anything that kind of you know really gets you guys excited? Yeah, does it have to have like a rhyming name, alliterative, <laughs> um, ambic pentameter? No, we, we're trying to focus. We have six apps right now that we've acquired since the fall. Um, and we're focusing on things that make sense to our merchant minds, which is things that increase AOV, UPT, um, conversion, which a lot, I know many, many apps you could kind of say they do, but we're really trying to focus on, on those. So anything from upsells to bundle builders, um, things like that. And in terms of size, we're open to anything. Um, We typically are looking for things over uh, 20K a month in MRR, but really open. And I think the other thing, we're very opportunistic in terms of who who is selling, 
and how they want to grow it. Um, it's been really nice finding some merchants, excuse me, some developers that want an earnout and want to stick with the growth of the app for a little bit because they really believe in it and they want to hand it off to a team that believes in their product and their vision and can help them, you know, see that through a bit. Nice. And then I guess this kind of goes into my next question. You touched on it a little bit. How do you, how does your firm evaluate uh, certain Shopify apps? What's like maybe some main metrics that you would personally get really excited around? Yeah. If we have a handful of team members um, to bring different perspectives. I definitely skew on our merchant usability and product perspective. Um, our, our CTO evaluates the tech stack and I'll go into more details on this. And then our head of corporate development really understands um, the financial modeling around it. How much, like do, what do we want to pay for it? What do we think it's worth? What are the different ways we could structure it? Knowing what the app developer wants to get out of it. Um, but basically, if we don't think the product is good, it's it's a total no-go. Like even if the revenue is off the charts, you know, one example would be if your app makes a red button on a site that just says click me and people click it and you get a dollar every time they click it, that product doesn't make sense for merchants. And even if the MRR was crazy, we're not going to buy it. Um, <laughs> and then there are probably a lot of people who will buy it and that's uh, that's great for the developer and a lot of developers out there who can sell, but we really care that we like the product. Um, and so from my perspective, when I'm looking at the product, it's what does it do? What are the pain points? How are people using it? Um, and my background is as a merchant, so I can hopefully see those things um, a little bit faster and just getting in there and playing around with it. Um, we also are kind of hedging a bit and thinking about the future, and I'm sure so many people are right now and a lot of app developers and folks who want to sell their app are wondering what's going to happen with all with the ever-changing market, Shopify earnings. Um, and there's a lot of interesting apps that are helping take people offline a bit too. We actually just purchased one called EV Events that allows store owners to sell events, whether they're Zoom events or in-person events. Um, so first and foremost, going back to your question, the product has to make sense for a thesis of ours for future growth or how current merchants are using it before we even evaluate how much money they're making, how big their team is, what kind of tech stack they have, what they're spending in marketing, what their content base is today um, and where we'd like it to go. Okay, I'm gonna throw a curveball at you. If you had to, if you could only look at one metric when looking at a product, let's say you love, you love the product. It's a great product. It's not the red button that mm -hmm. you get a dollar for. Uh, what what would be like the main one metric that you would look at? I think, I mean, I'm trying to combine two in my head right now. Um, yeah, I'm guessing it's one is probably churn. Yeah. Yeah. But, but of course that it's challenging because some apps naturally have higher churn. And so I'm trying not to generalize, but it would be a combination of of th three, I'm going to break the rules. Revenue, obviously, churn and um, tenure. And the reason I'm calling out tenure and churn differently is because some apps are so cyclical um, and like seasonal. That. That's very true, especially with e-commerce. That's very, very true. Especially with e-com, especially um, 
especially like with, with the nature of what merchants are going to be doing more and more of is testing things out on their own. Um, like if you look at the uninstall rate for the first 14 days, does that give you the whole picture? No. So I think it would, I'd have to break the rules and combine a few of those metrics. Yeah. That's a hard question, but I like, I like your answer a lot. <laughs> um, so you, you, your firm has acquired a number of um, Shopify apps. Um, what, what's your personal favorite that you've acquired? Ooh. We acquired one, uh, one of our, I think it was our second app called Box Builder. Um, and it was an app built by a self-taught engineer uh, to solve a problem. And so off the bat, I love it. It was, you know, the intent was to solve a problem and it was to allow merchants to create their own bundles and add certain rules to them. Um, you know, whether it's a buy two, get one free or a whole curated experience of filling up your cart with different products. And let me just explain it a little better before I talk about why it's my favorite. So one brand, beauty brand, um, sells fake eyelashes and tools to put them on your face. Um, it's kind of overwhelming because they all look the same. So they were able to make a three-step builder that allows customers to select their style of eyelash and put as many in their cart as they want to trigger a discount. And the next step walked through which glue they need. And then the last step was some accessories. So I love this the most um, for a couple of reasons. One, it serves such a need. Not only is this not an innate feature set in Shopify, but this app also allows you to apply discounting in addition to Shopify's discounting, which has some limitations. Um, the biggest limitation of Shopify discounting is that you can only use one discount code. Um, so this kind of helps merchants get around that. But whether merchants, and another reason I love it is whether merchants have just a few SKUs or thousands, this allows them to make a curated selection. Mm. Um, so some other merchants have different gift sets. If they sell like wax seals or fish, they can really walk someone through it. Almost akin to like if you had a personal shopper that's saying, okay, here are your shirts. Now pick this shirt. Moving on to the belts. This one goes with that. How about that? Oh, and do you want to personalize and engrave it? We have a tool for that too. Um, that is awesome. It's so cool. And the other reason I, I love it is we bought it. I think it was at a 4.4 review rating and now it's at a 4.8. Um, so it's a little bit of like a first child to me and that we brought it in and gave it a lot of love and got gave it a lot of customer support and helped merchants out a ton. And it's it's been getting better and better. That's awesome. I, I always love stories of number one, I mean, that sounds like a great app, but two is you, after you acquired it, you improved it. And, you know, I'm sure the original developer can look at it and see it, you know, still thriving and being used by a bunch of happy customers. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's a great story. And it also helped us uh, grow up. So because of that app, you know, it was in our early days, we it helped fast forward our hires and our systems and our processes internally. Um, we also acquired it right during holiday season, which I can personally tell you my holiday, my Thanksgiving, I was like on a laptop in the middle of nowhere answering customer emails because I knew how important it was to them to like get their builder set up so that by Black Friday, everything was humming. Yeah, nice. Um, okay, so switching gears here, um, there's there's a lot of Shopify developers and just you know startup founders that are potentially looking to in this next year. If you had to give maybe one or two pieces of advice, you can break the rules again and give three <laughs> if you want. Um, uh, what what would that be? I think. Um, 
be really upfront about what you're looking for because um, there are no issues with that. If you want to sell and have nothing to do with it, that's totally your prerogative. If you want to sell to someone who's going to partner with you in some way to carry it to the holy land of where you think it can get because you have all that product knowledge, great. Um, just be super upfront. There's no wrong way to do it. There are acquirers for every type out there, some that will sign the check and want you to walk away and others that will want to partner with you. Um, so I think off the bat, make that really clear. Because um, only when that's on the table, can you work with the acquirer to come up with a structure that works for both of you? Um, yeah, and I, I mean, we're, we, we should all be honest with each other too. I think that's something that we try to do. Uh, what we like to do most, like we really like when, when sellers want to do an earn out and why, because um, they have so much of the knowledge in their head about what works and what doesn't. And we love partnering and working with great people. We're having a blast with um, August Noble from AOV Boost. We just acquired working on a product roadmap about where we're going to take it and how we're going to grow it. And he's excited and we're excited. Um, it's fun. <laughs> so I think that would be one piece of advice. Um, I, like, I like that. I was going to say, I like that one a lot too, because um, you're right. Yeah, there are a lot of firms that, you know, are looking for hundred percent buyouts, but you'll essentially work with an original developer. Maybe they've just taken it to a point that you just can't take it any farther and your firm will work with them as a partner. Uh, so they can continue to have a piece in the success totally. of the app as it grows. Totally. And we're lucky. I mean, we're, we're well capitalized. We're having fun with this. We can be creative um, and we can be developer friendly, merchant friendly all at the same time while we're building our business. Um, nice. Do you guys, do you guys focus on a hundred percent buyouts or do you prefer uh, majority buyouts like partnership buyouts? We're open. Um, I think we, there'd have to be a reason to not, have a majority, like a really good reason. Um, I guess when I say majority, like um, founder walks away versus like partnership. We prefer partnership and, and for the intangibles of like, it'll be great to work with them and it'll attract the type of people who believe in product and supporting merchants like we do. Um, we have had an experience where the original developer walked away and it, it was a lot harder for us. Um, I think just the handoff, one of the, you know, every tech stack is super different. Every every historical piece of working with a merchant that has been working with a certain founder or the app owner for a long time and gets transitioned, there's a lot that you want to make sure is a seamless transition. Yeah. Um, and so you want to incentivize that and just align everyone to doing that. I think it, in probably most cases, SaaS and beyond, if you can have a seamless transition with anything, it's going to be better. Yeah, that can be one of the bumpiest parts is, you know, you acquire something and then you don't have the original developer and then you don't know how the source code works. And then you have to spend, you know, weeks or months finding someone to figure out how it works. If you don't have someone in house. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like, you know, you create these win-win partnerships. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we have learned that that's the way thought a little bit the hard way, but um, it's, I think the other piece of advice going back to your previous question or for advice to sellers is all right so once you've sold it or you're getting to that point what do you think to do is like tell them which snakes are in which mailboxes no apps are made perfectly um i think anyone who's 
acquisitive in the space knows that. And so just be upfront about like where there are weaknesses, where there needs to be more buttressing. And I know it can be super personal because maybe this person coded it in their free time and their, their code isn't up to even their snuff. Um, and it might be more emotional, but like the team needs to know that or else it can make that transition process more tense than it needs to be. Nice. Would you agree with this? I, I, I meet with a lot of founders and they, they feel that they always need to advertise or um, when they approach buyers and uh, basically display their app is perfect. Everything is, they've done everything right. There's, you know, all growth channels are perfectly optimized, but it's almost like a, in my opinion, a benefit to bring your business forward with, you know, scars and especially like growth opportunities. Like, Hey, I haven't done this. Haven't tried this. I tried this and I failed at this, or this has a, you know what I mean? Like, because it shows number one, honesty, like you were describing, but number two, you know, potential upside that you can capitalize on that. Maybe the original owner wasn't able to. I think you have to assume that if you're not disclosing it and things get serious, it will come out and it doesn't need to be um, exactly like you said, be honest about what you've tried, what's worked and what hasn't. So the companies evaluating you can determine if what they would need to put in place. You know, have you not done any content marketing? Do they need to find someone who's an expert in your space to do content marketing? That's not a, that's not a showstopper. It's just a consideration that they'll have to think through. Um, and if you try to hide any of that, it will come out. We were, we were on a call recently um, with a company that were like, tell us about your competitors. What are they doing well? Like, we, don't, we don't look at competitors. And to me, like, that's a huge red flag of even talking about disclosures. Like, think about what your competitors are doing. What are they doing well? What aren't they doing well? When might you refer a merchant to a competitor because they offer something you don't? What are they doing really well that you'd want to bring into your set? Um, so I think it is, yes, disclose anything you've done, where you think your gaps are, as well as like your roadmap, what you want to do, what you think competitors are doing well, how the environment's changing, um, or else you're just so myopic and have those blinders on. And it, I think you'll have a lot of, uh, a lot of more interesting conversations if you are a little bit upfront. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, um, uh, for this next question, you know, we're recording this at a very, uh, interesting time. Um, any what's so we're we're into the year and it seems like the sky is kind of falling a little bit um <laughs> specifically for shopify i believe their stock is down like 80 percent or something like that or i don't know but anyways um what are your pred- predictions for like if you had to give one for the, your head in terms of just acquisitions or e-commerce as a whole it's interesting i mean it's I think, and these are my personal beliefs, um, and I'll also call that out what stay tuned things is everything's cyclical. I think some of us looking at the Shopify earnings are really surprised and others aren't. Personally, it was bound to happen with looking at all the different tech stocks and, and even all of the different companies that really had a, a huge growth during COVID, the height of COVID, had a comeback to reality. If we look at uh, Peloton, Zoom, thank you, Zoom, for sponsoring this call. Um, <laughs> but they they all took a hit, and so it was about time for Shopify uh, because a lot is returning in real life. Um, I think this, m- less so Shopify's earnings, but more so like the macroeconomic environment, inflationary environment, 
um, will change the acquisition space a little bit. It might take multiples down a hair. They've been crazy high. Maybe that'll happen for those selling. Um, it might have the acquirers a little more focused on actual metrics and results. I know I've been in a lot of conversations where the app uh, seller didn't really have that hard data. So they might have to provide a little bit more of that hard data to back up their claims. Um, and I think we're gonna see a change in the merchant behavior on Shopify, which will of course have a, a trickle down effect into the apps. I think we're gonna see a lot more stores closing, sadly. Um, and a lot more stores probably that aren't plus. So the ones that are on there not paying as high of a premium to be on Shopify. Um, and I think that will greatly, you know, that's going to affect app providers and app, app rollups like ours as well. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that, especially the valuation piece. I mean, for the last like two years, I mean, I've, I'm sure you've been in this situation where my app is worth 20, 30 mm -hmm. times revenue. And it's like, no, it's not. Um, so I think this this I think this is almost a good reset for everyone to you know really understand like this is the true value of you know a SaaS company or a Shopify yeah. app or e-commerce store, whatever it is. Um, and then I don't know what your take is on this, but um, you know, even if you bought something like, you know, at um, you know, the peak uh, not all dot com stocks, but um like if you bought Amazon at the peak, which was I think $113 a share and then kept it or even at the peak of the, uh, I was in college during the great recession, but if you bought anything during that time period and just held it. Uh, yeah. So I think, you know, what we're seeing right now is just a lot of short-term panic. And if you kind of zoom out and look at the bigger picture, like there's still a lot of growth being seen and across you know, SaaS, Shopify, everything. It's kind of just like you said, like what goes up comes down and then what goes down. Totally. Um, and we also have to think like Shopify and, and I loved part of what Harley was saying or after earnings about like the goal of Shopify is to support entrepreneurs, right? And we believe deeply in that. We're a bunch of entrepreneurs that are that are working at, at Stay Tuned. Um, but more so when, when folks, if they're getting hit, by inflation and just tightening in the economy, they might turn to Shopify to try to, if they lost their job, to try to sell something out of their home. Um, so there will continue to be commerce and not just those people, but everyone that needs to be supported with great software and excellent customer service. And I think the other thing that tends to happen during these like cycles is, oh, there's this great quote. Um, when the when the water goes out, you see who isn't wearing pants. Like maybe I'm misreading that, but like not yeah, interesting that. And I think we're gonna see a lot of like, what are the apps that are just like vaporware and not really doing anything to contribute to a merchant's bottom line? What are the companies that haven't been able to add value when they buy up these apps? Um, so I do think like for us, if we just keep our keep our focus, help merchants be great partners to the apps that we buy and the folks we partner with, we'll, we'll be fine. I, I, I think so too. I love, mm -hmm. I love the positive attitude. I think, you know, long-term thinking um, always beats, you know, short-term thinking um, every single time. Oh, it does. And we're trying like the other thing I'm, I'm spending some time thinking about now is assuming this is going to happen. And um, you know, a lot of the app sellers that are out there probably feeling this pain too. Merchants are, 
feeling it a lot. And they're probably emailing you nastier notes when things aren't working, when they don't think things are working. Um, we're really trying to think through how we can support them better. Of course, it's like great customer service and being responsive, but even proactively, like what can we do um, to help out folks that might be going through a hard time? So I don't know exactly what that's going to look like just yet, but it is something we're trying to think through. How can we best prepare for tightening with the merchants that we support? Nice. I love that. Um, I guess my last question would be, um, you know, uh, with all your knowledge um, with, you know, e-commerce and Shopify and just, you know, your, your experience, um, if someone wanted to, uh, like, are there any books or podcasts that you would recommend for, you know, maybe a person looking to get into, um, you know, the Shopify ecosystem or anything that, you know, you check on a regular basis? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, uh, great prompt. Okay. What would I recommend? Well, if you are trying to learn Shopify, open a store, <laughs> try to put it together um, and learn the basics there. Shopify help is always going to that website. Really wonderful info to learn about that. But if you're trying to learn about the ecosystem and apps and all that, um, Shopify partner Slack is great. There's so many people from developers um, at Shopify and folks working on their app. It's very collaborative. People help each other out. Um, if you're a Plus user, I love the Shopify Plus community. Um, and then if you're trying to learn the marketing of it all, go to a Geek Out conference. They're expensive and worth every penny. I think they're having one in Miami this coming weekend. You could probably get a virtual ticket. That's the best, the best way to figure out how to unlock marketing. Um, I think those are that's a good handful yeah mm -hmm. i i love the first one yeah i always say the best way it's uh more towards just general startups in general but the best way to learn how to build a startup is to build a startup to do it yeah, yeah. Even, even if you fail you learn and then you try again and you keep going and it's so. so amazing how much better questions you can ask if you're if you're interviewing if you're trying to sell like get in there download the app that you're looking at buying use it. Everybody should be able to understand it. Um, when I, back when I worked at Warby Parker, um, Mickey Drexler was on the board. He was the, the retail leader who built Gap and J. Crew, And apparently he used to have um, a microphone in his office that would blast out to the entire workforce at J. Crew when he was there. And so when he was being asked to be on the board of Warby, he got on his mic and he said, all right, anyone who wears glasses, come to my office. And a whole bunch of people ran to his office. And then he said, anyone here with Warby Parkers? And they narrowed down the field. And then he talked to them for maybe five minutes and got to the core product issues that Warby was having at that time, just by asking questions and kind of like getting his hands dirty. Um, so I think the same Whoa. approach added for, I know. That's another story. Yeah. <laughs> and the same approach here, if you're looking at acquiring an app and you don't know the space, download it, use it, talk to people that use it. Um, try not to just have the myopic lens of like MRR and ARR and IRR, anything that ends in RR <laughs> and actually get your hands in there. And I know my perspective is product. So that's what I always encourage everyone to do. That's fantastic advice. Well, Laura Lynn, uh, you've been um, a pleasure to have on this podcast. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, uh, what's the best place to, to find you? You can find me on Twitter at LLDRURY. Um, or the old LinkedIn. All right. I'll put that in the show notes. Well, Laura Lynn, it's been a, a pleasure and uh, thanks again for your time. Cool. Thanks, Andrew. Have a good one. You too. Cheers. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the SaaS Acquisition Stories podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, make sure to like and follow on your preferred channel. And if you know a friend or colleague that would benefit from hearing this conversation, please share it with them. For more information on MicroAcquire and how we can help you start conversations that lead to an acquisition in just 30 days, check us out at microacquire.com. We'll see you next time.